Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to No Budget Nightmares. This is Mo. He's a bad film hating while I skating all the while masturbating. That's, That's Mo Pawn. Yeah. yeah. And with me as always is the one and only Doug Tilly. He's bow, Doug bow, Tilly. Bow, 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 number bow, one super bow, guy. Bow, bow. Before we were so rudely interrupted, Mo. <laughs> <laughs> uh, this is the first episode of No Budget Nightmares in two months, Mo. Yeah. There was a slight delay, and for a sad reason, certainly, uh, and, and yeah. things that certainly couldn't be uh, helped. Uh, do you want to talk about that? You certainly are, are under no uh, uh, pressure <laughs> to do so. I mean, I could just edit um, this out. No, no, no. It's fine. Yeah, ba- you know, it, basically what ended up happening was my uh, my stepfather, who had a, a congestive heart failure, um he went in to have his uh, like the battery in his pacemaker replaced or to have his pacemaker replaced or something to that effect. And something ended up kind of going wrong with it. And uh, like it bad just went to worse and just kind of kept on going. And like within the course of like, I think it was like two weeks, he went from being, you know, relatively okay. As far as I knew to dead. Right. So, Yeah. Um, so we had the, uh, uh, you know, yeah, it was emotional. I mean, I'm, I'm kind of past the grieving stage now. Like everybody, like it really helped like when, you know, like I saw my mom kind of like joking around with us and being all, uh, goofy out of, out of self-preservation really. Um, but you know, yeah, I was happy to see how well she was taking it, which put me in a better place. And then we had the memorial on this previous, uh, weekend to us recording, <clears throat> excuse me. And, uh, yeah. And it was a nice little bit of closure to the whole situation. So yeah, it was, I mean, you know, it was unfortunate that we had to take the break, but it was an unfortunate necessity. Yeah, definitely a necessity. And I never, certainly yeah. no one I could ever, fault you for it uh, under those circumstances right, right. And, and i mean certainly because this isn't a not that you would ever fault someone anyway but this wasn't exactly like a long illness this this was very sudden and it was very yeah, sudden and, yeah. and, and even when you were giving me updates that like like shit is going bad i was like oh yeah. god i mean the, all we can hope is for the best but i guess the writing was right. on the wall at that point well i mean honestly the, like the saddest part about the whole thing not that the death of my stepfather wasn't sad but the you know like the the timing of of this whole situation was pretty bad too because my mom had to put her dog down yeah, too right of course at the same time and it's like wow so as as many of the listeners know i have a, a cat who lives with my mom um 
and he's basically just become my mom's cat. Like right. he's kind of like her emotional support cat <laughs> at this point, you know? So I have to like sort of live with the fact that my cat who was previously named David Lee Roth is now being called Buddy. <laughs> <laughs> Buddy the cat. Buddy the cat. He even has like he even has like a little name badge that says Buddy the cat and I'm like, "Oh, God, Mahad. His name is David Lee Roth, but you know he's he's essentially her cat now, so I can't even I can't be mad about it. I guess in in the grand scheme, it's it's a rather small sacrifice. Hey, there's it's more cats out sacrifice. there, Mo. Yeah, yeah. I'll just have to find my Sammy Hagar. You know? <laughs> just hope it's not a Gary Sharon, right? <laughs> I am just praying for no Gary Sharon. <laughs> well. Uh, we are glad uh, to see that you are recovering, Mo, and uh, I'm, I do yeah. speak for all of our listeners that uh, that I'm happy to have you back, and I hope that the listeners are happy to have us back, Mo, and I'm, I'm glad that we were able to uh, to get together well, to record. Well, I'm happy to be back, you know. Yeah, yeah absolutely. Like, I'm not, I'm not, like, I, like, honestly, like, you know, like, I would have recorded last week if it hadn't been the day of the, you know, memorial. Sure. Um, so I didn't really have time, but yeah, I, like I absolutely, I was, I was kind of like champing at the bit to get back into it because I, you know, I miss recording. Also, you know, I honestly, our most recent episode, which was a while ago now, um, yeah. I, I, we had just gotten added to Spotify and I think that actually has, yeah, it's put a few new listeners on, uh, on our radar, uh, or we're on their radar. So this is a, a good opportunity to get, uh, a movie nailed down before the end of 2018. Mo, it's almost the end of 2018. Yeah, sucks. <laughs> <laughs> 2018 was a was a pretty shit year. Yeah, it's a garbage and thought, year. And I, th- and I thought nothing was going to be worse than 2016. Nope. <laughs> it's actually just been getting progressively worse since 2016, and like it, it just nonstop. And, and I like I I start out hopeful, and then shit goes anyway. Look, look, we're not here to bum anyone out. It's the <laughs> holiday season, Mo. It's a season of giving, and we are here to give. The listeners, a super episode of No Budget Nightmares, the podcast that you and I both host. Yes. And what movie, Mo, are we going to be, ta- be, be, be What movie, Mo? <laughs> <laughs> Turned into Porky Pig there for a second. <laughs> I will say that in the uh, uh, break that we've had on this show, in during that time, marijuana was legalized here in the country of Canada. <laughs> So my general wackiness on the No Budget Nightmares podcast may even be exaggerated somewhat. Uh, but what what oh, movie, Mo, God. are we here to talk about today? Oh, we are watching. I don't know what year it's from, but it's Beyond the Seventh Door. What if I were to tell you, Mo, that was from the year 1987? I would believe you. What would what based do you on the clo- based on the clothing and the haircuts alone? Well, it's it's from Canada, so it could have been right up to nineteen ninety six, that, ninety seven. That's a really really fair point. Yeah, <laughs> there's a denim jacket on display, Mo. You could there there is there is a moment where he takes off his fucking bomber jacket and he is wearing denim on denim, and I laughed so fucking hard. I'm like, of course, there's a Canadian tuxedo in this. <laughs> We'll get to that, Mo. But yeah, no, this is, <laughs> this is from the year 1987. Mo, what do you remember about 1987? That was the year that I accidentally burned down my barn because I was playing with matches. Oh my goodness, yeah, Mo, you've led a, a of... you've led quite the life. 
Uh, I really haven't. Um, not my, ch- my like. I don't have a lot of interesting things from my childhood, but it just so happens that that was the year that that happened. So, the year that you burned down a cabin. And well, it was a it was a it was a barn. A barn, yeah, sorry, like, yes, or a like barn. a like a shed, you know. That you used to go in and just play. <laughs> you went there. You played with matches. That was kind there, of okay. So, so I have to explain yes. the the shed. The shed was two levels, you know. So, like I thought like it was a barn. We, well, we called it the barn. It was <laughs> it was small, but it was two levels. And what I would do is I would go up to the like uh, my little like play area, like when I wanted to be alone was the upper level of this barn. Uh-huh. So, like, which probably says a lot about me because that's where we cut like the chlorine for the pool and like <laughs> you know all sorts of other like horrible chemicals Mo um, searching for isolation since the 1980s <laughs> <laughs> yeah exactly and uh one day I, I guess i had found like a book of matches or something and there was a window that would swing open and i was lighting matches and throwing them out the window because i was like a f- total fucking pyromaniac when i was a kid um and one of the matches landed lit in a bucket of oily rags that my dad had put behind the behind the barn. You're and not the supposed to have fuck, those. <laughs> and the whole yeah, right? And then the whole fucking back of the barn just whoosh. And like meanwhile, like I have to climb down the ladder that oh is like God. on fire on the other side, or else I have no way down. You know, we ended up calling the um the fire department, but Ended up getting the fire out well before they even got there. America, you know, is <laughs> one of the two times in my life I got spanked, and goddamn, I deserved it. Oh, I'm just thinking about in your like elementary and junior high uh, years where they're like taking all the students and showing them fire safety videos and shit like that. You'll be like, "Yep, that's exactly what you're not supposed to do. Have a big pile <laughs> of oily rags and fight a kid who's a pyromaniac." Yeah. Yeah, 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 exactly. Like, I already knew what not to do by the time they showed us what, what we weren't supposed to do. I'm like, oh, I already knew this. Mo, uh, this old hat. <laughs> Mo, 1987's Beyond the Seventh Door. This movie, Mo, is Canadian, which is very exciting. Uh, and we're going to talk about the whole thing in some detail, as we usually do on No Vision Nightmares. Um, and this movie is directed by a guy named, boy, okay, Bozidar D. <laughs> Benedict. That's an exciting name, Mo. That's a great name. He, he's from the uh, uh, Yugoslavia. The former Yugoslavia. The former Yugoslavia, Bozidar D. Benedict. And now this is kind of a weird movie for us to be talking about, Mo, because it's, it is absolutely a ultra-low-budget movie. But Bozidar yeah. seems to be a legitimate director. I mean, he had a career in what I guess would be Yugoslavia or the former Yugoslavia. And he went on to... Direct uh, a number of, well, fairly notable movies. Uh, uh, Brooklyn Nights from 1987, which also had the same lead actor here. He has a part in that. And the movie The Graveyard Story in 1991. These aren't like really super notable movies, but they are movies that are, uh, that in horror circles that people might potentially recognize. So, right. this, and this movie doesn't look, what I'm trying to say is this is a competently directed movie uh, from start to finish. Yeah. It, it looks and yeah, acts absolutely. and sounds it was some exceptions, like a real movie, uh, which is, you know, kind of a nice change of pace from some of the movies we watch on here. <laughs> I think that's true. Now, uh, Beyond the Seventh Door has been released on a special edition DVD uh, through Intervision. 
Um, and uh, I actually, during the recent Black Friday sale, I purchased a copy of that. However, it has not yet arrived, so we're working from a slightly lower co- co- uh, lower quality dupe we're both uh, working from today, and that would explain why some of the audio clips we're going to play today uh, might be a little uh, sketchy sounding. But uh, <laughs> needless needless to say, I would recommend getting that uh, Intervision DVD release, since that's what I did, and I'm looking forward to watching it, Mo, if it ever arrives. Yeah, they might think it's drugs from the United States. and Yeah, and we tough. want our drugs to stay right here in Canada. Right. You know, like it's home. I mean, you're in the home of BC Kush. You might as well just keep it local. Yeah, keep it local. That's that's what I say all the time. And we yeah. are keeping it local on this episode of No Budget Nightmares. We're talking about Beyond the Seventh Door from the year 1987, Mo. And I think we should just jump right into it. What do you think? Please. 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 Back in 1987... Marvin Film Productions, in association with Kensington Video Productions Incorporated, presented <laughs> a B.D. Benedict film starring Mo, Lazar Rockwood, and Bonnie Beck. And when I say those two names are the stars, hey, they're literally, except for one exception and maybe a few background people, the only actors in the entire movie, Mo. And I have to say, it was kind of refreshing only to have to write down two names for the whole fucking thing. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Especially when one of those actors is very notable, Mo, and we're going to be talking about him at length, and that actor is Lazar Rockwood. And before we even get into the movie proper, Mo, tell me about Lazar Rockwood. Okay. <laughs> Lazar, imagine, if you will, if Tommy Wiseau and Billy Drago had a baby, <laughs> and it had the worst features of both of them. That's that's Lazar Rockwood. Now, I'm not saying... Now, don't take that as an insult to Lazar Rockwood because he was super enjoyable in this movie. But it's pretty bad. It's interesting because, like... He's paired with Bonnie Beck, who is a right. you know perfectly capable, uh, very Canadian sounding actress in this movie. But you know she's she does a really good job. She's there. She's attractive. You know she, she's what she's supposed to be. And right. it's like they've paired her with some monster, like like yeah. literally someone who is. Gro- <laughs> I don't want to be mean. I'm trying not to be mean. Yeah, trying because not Laz- to be mean. Lazar does a you know he is the reason to watch this movie really, but he's yeah. also. Looks like he was carved out of stone, and he's a very unpleasant-looking man. And he has a very, very strong accent that is sometimes very difficult to understand what he's saying. And there's that part in my brain that's like, why him out of, like, anybody in the entire world to put in this movie? However, I don't know if we'd be talking about this movie in 2018 if he wasn't the star of it. Well, that's and that's the funny part is, like, like you said, there could have been a million other more competent people out there, but because... He is, it's the same reason why people talk about The Room. Like, if The Room was just an incompetently made film, it would have been in theaters and out of theaters in a day and nobody would have fucking remembered it, you know? But because Tommy Wiseau is so fucking crazy, you know, and so over the top with his acting, you remember it. It's the same thing with Lazar Rockwood. He's very Wiseau-esque, except... Minus a lot of the anachronisms, you know, like he's like the idiosyncrasies, so to speak. Yeah, he's like, he's was so light. Yeah, yeah. It's, I am always hesitant. Uh, I say I'm always like I've been talking about this movie for decades. I'm a little hesitant to compare him to Tommy Wiseau, if only because that brings to mind that he is some sort of, 
that he's kind of like a megalomaniac and he, right, right, he, no, he, no, no, no. You know, he has all this money that he's spending. This is not a vanity project for Lazar at all. At all, no. This is a project that he has been cast in because he worked with the director previously. I don't know what their relationship was necessarily, but he does look like Tommy Wiseau in this movie. He really does, uh, and he, he does have that sort of dramatic acting style that you right. that you saw in the room but this is a much more competently made movie than the room is absolutely is yeah 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 <laughs> and when we are introduced to Lazar Rockwood in this movie he's playing a character named Boris and he's being released mo from a canadian prison very scary don't you think well i assumed he forgot to say sorry after he bumped into somebody so that's it that's it. He was in a Tim Hortons. <laughs> he was in a Tim Hortons. He knocked over somebody's Tim bits. <laughs> <laughs> so he walks out of this prison and he does what you would do, Mo. First, he shakes hands with people outside the prison. Very nice. Very, very Canadian move. Then he lights up a cigarette, Mo. And what's notable about him lighting up a cigarette at the beginning of this movie, Mo? Well, it's the first of about <laughs> 900 times he does it in the <laughs> This guy, like, it's great. There's even a moment where the other, where, what's her name? Wendy? Wendy, yes. Yeah, where Wendy tells him, you smoke too much. And he goes, I'll quit. And two (laughs) seconds later, he's lighting a cigarette up again. And he's got a cigarette in his mouth through the rest of the fucking movie. Like, even after he says he'll quit. It's fucking great. He's smoking nonstop. And, like, even in my, like, so he hails a cab. You know, like, so like there's this montage afterwards of just stuff he's doing. It's mostly just him walking, you know, it reminds me of, it reminds me of like the walking version of the first like 10 minutes of Birdemic, you know, but, um, I don't, I I don't mean to keep comparing this movie to like those worst of the worst movies because this is actually a significantly better movie than all of those ones are, but it's the same sort of idea. It's a lot of him walking, but, but most notably he hails a cab Mm -hmm. and then there's a, and then we cut to the shot of him smoking in the cab, (laughs) which is like, like, first off, you can't do that anymore. Like you just straight up can't do that. Um, But it's like, it just hails back to this time when like all of this horrible, harmful shit that you could get away with that you can't now. And he's just sitting there filling this dude's cab up with fucking smoke. It's it's such a weird, you know. We both lived through the that you know that yeah. transition from right. Era. And and I know we're some the people, we're the last generation. Yeah, <laughs> I know. I mean, I know some people who are still upset about the idea. It's like, why can't I smoke in a bar or something like that? But it's just yeah. like when you think about it, and and it's funny because in 2018, everybody is at their worst. You know, everyone is as inconsiderate as they've ever been for the most part. But yeah. like, can you imagine something more inconsiderate than be to being in the back of a cab and being like, like, hey, this shit I'm doing is going to kill you, driver. <laughs> and because because it's not just me, because there's dozens of more of me today, like your lifespan is being reduced simply by doing your job and driving people around. Right. And it's just such a funny thing. And, you know, I'm not railing against cigarette smokers or anything like that. I'm just saying it's it's fucked up that we allowed people to just, just breathe smoke into children's faces for decades. Yeah, you know, and it's funny though because like I, you know, I grew up around smokers. Yeah, me too. You know, and uh and I've lived with smokers many, many times in my life and I am a smoker now, of course, because I'm a terrible human being. But like like I that's the one thing I was like super thankful for. Is like my like my parents when they were smoking, like they, they were never the type to just smoke around us. Like my sure. father would only ever smoke in the car 
you know, which admittedly sometimes I'd be sitting right next to him, but it was never like <laughs> blowing smoke in my face, you know. Right. Um, you know, now I did live, I have lived with smokers who were that type of person and oh, awful. But me personally, I only ever smoke outside. I won't smoke near anybody. I don't want to be around people when I'm smoking. Like I want to be alone. It's a very solitary thing for me. <laughs> Which is for some people, it's a social thing. For most, yeah. it's like I want to get away from people and just Every, enjoy. <laughs> everything is a solitary thing for me. <laughs> <laughs> so yes, our friend uh, Boris here loves cigarettes. Uh, he gets a cab ride into what appears to be some area of Toronto. He's walking down the street and. Lo and behold, Mo, he encounters someone that he has known, I guess, from before he was in prison. This is our other main character and literally pretty much the only other character in this movie. This is Wendy. You referred to her a little bit earlier, Mo, and uh, yeah. she's a bit upset. She doesn't um, She doesn't want to talk to him. She said that she explained everything in her letters, uh, but he wants to have a little, little talk with her in the restaurant that she's sitting in. You scare me, Boris. And Breston? Doesn't he scare you? Why should Breston scare me? Would you leave it to me if I have a castle? Okay. I left that little bit at the end there, mostly because it was incomprehensible. But this requires a little bit of elaboration. So, he went to prison, and I guess she was his... I don't know if she was his girlfriend, but at least someone that he did crimes with. And since then, Wendy has become sort of a live-in... Uh, housekeeper slash sexual object for some uh, reclusive millionaire who lives in a castle named... Now, Mo, I know I wrote down the word Preston as his name, but every single time he said in this movie, I think it's Breston? I think it's... Yeah, his name's Lord Breston. Lord Breston, because he lives in one of the many castles around Toronto, Ontario, Canada. (laughs) He's like Coffin Joe. He lives in a castle of his own. So she's living uh, and working for this guy. Um, and this is what he was referring to there. She said that, that Boris uh, scares her. And he goes, but Breston, he doesn't scare you? And it's kind of funny that Breston is the guy who lives in a castle when uh, Boris looks like Dracula. <laughs> <laughs> Breston, he's, Breston he, scares, he doesn't scare you, but I want to suck your blood. <laughs> but then he's like, in that clip, he's like, but could I live in castle? Like, I don't know what he's trying to say. I think he's saying it's like, yeah. would, would you be with me if I lived in a castle? Anyway, it's unimportant. Um, So he talks a little bit about why he ended up in prison. He says something about his getaway driver panicked and took off and left him holding the bag. Uh, But I, again, I have a lot of trouble understanding what the hell he's saying in this movie. (laughs) But he has heard, Mo, about the hidden treasure of Lord Preston. And they, I'm sorry, Preston. They always talk about like it as treasure, like you're expecting like, Mountains of gold and all that stuff. But what he just means is that I guess this guy just has some money. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. He's got a bit of money. Was, He's Lord Breast. Yeah, I was thinking, of, I was actually thinking about that as the movie went on, you know, because they keep, yeah, you're right. They keep calling it treasure. And I definitely had in my mind a room filled with gold of some kind, jewels, cups like something you'd expect from like like something you'd expect a uh, a fucking dragon to be sitting yeah, on you know exactly yeah, uh, yeah treasure i know what treasure yeah. looks like you do but that's not i mean look i don't want to spoil this movie before we get to the spoiling point no. but when we eventually see the treasure it's just a suitcase full of money <laughs> which i look i'm not gonna t- it's, in fact it's way easier i don't know what i do with a bunch of gold coins i'd have to figure something out uh, you know unmarked bills that that's probably a lot easier but in some ways i was still disappointed <laughs> 
Yeah. But Boris is uh, what he wants out of Wendy. Is like she's in the inside. She's in this castle, so she can help him with things like alarms and layout and keys and combinations. With her inside, he'll be able to go in and steal this money, and uh, and and it'll be really easy. And I guess then he's going to split it with her or whatever, and they can live a life of luxury in Toronto. Hopefully, um, hopefully that those bills are in American money. <laughs> <laughs> uh, this is the uh, this is the moment in my notes where I say. Um, his acting is amazing. He acts with his neck. Now explain that more, Mo. How does he act with his neck? He, um, okay, so in this scene in particular, he doesn't do it a lot through the rest of the movie. He does it a couple sure. more times. But in this scene in particular, the entire time, every time he talks to her, he juts his head forward. Uh-huh. You know, like, he just extends his neck out towards her. And every time he did that, it just made me fucking laugh. <laughs> I don't know why. I just thought it was brilliant. And I'm like, he's acting with his neck. I love it. So later on, Mo, later we on. see a castle. We see a castle. And outside of that castle, Boris is there. He's waiting outside. He's smoking Nothing. another fucking cigarette. <laughs> <laughs> so... Wendy opens the door and motions for him to come inside. Apparently, it's very late. He even complains about how late it is. And she's like, you know, I had to make sure everyone was asleep. And uh, she said that she is... Well, she shows a some pills to imply that she's uh, drugged Breston. So he, there's no way he's going to wake up and find them. He, he comes inside and there's a big red door. And she says, if there's any treasure in this place, it has to be here. And she says that there's a elevator within the house itself that Breston sometimes goes down to. Uh, it's the only place where the treasure could be hidden. And because they don't have access to that elevator, it has to be this door that they have to go through to uh, to get to the treasure, Mo. And what it's very her, exciting. What was her excuse for why they didn't have access to the elevator? Uh, she said she couldn't get it open. That's right. Oh. All right. And, she, and she says that this door, uh, that Breston always carries a copy of the key around his neck, and uh, and she's made a copy of it. So she has the key to open this red door. We should also mention, by the way, that Breston is uh, in a wheelchair, that he is uh, at least paraplegic. And she, um, I, I think she says a little bit later in the movie that that he doesn't just ogle her. He also uh, likes to, to grab her and caress her and, you know, sexually assault her with his hands. He likes to fondle her Timbits. Yes, her, her Timbits. That's right. <laughs> <laughs> so <laughs> they open the door, Mo, and the movie begins proper. Now, before we get into the things that are going to happen, I think it would be useful for us to explain the kind of movie this is to our listening audience because there are certain parallels that you can make between the plot of this movie and certain other movies. Now, what other movies did this movie remind you of? Um, There's the two in particular no I'm thinking of. Yeah, the most notable one for me was Saw. Saw, yes, because there is a series of things that they, the, our couple here, are going to have to go through a series of tasks and if they do not succeed, they will be killed. Right. And what's the other one, Mo? I... I'm drawing a blank. I I mean, I know there's another one, and I'm sure I mentioned it somewhere, but I'm an idiot, and I forget things all the time. Be so we'll I'll tell you, I'll tell you, the, the movie I was thinking of, and particularly because this is a Canadian movie, was Cube, the Canadian movie oh, Cube, Mo, yeah, because it is a similar thing where there's puzzles, yeah. that, that, you know, that's all done in a few rooms. It's a, it's kind of a similarly structured thing, and I'd be curious to see if the director of Cube was in some way 
uh, influenced by this. Mm. So they go into uh, – they go through the door. They go down a flight of stairs um, and they find a door and he uh, picks the lock to it. And it leads to what appears to be some sort of boiler room. Uh, and I had a, to... He makes such a terrible fucking joke at this, too. Like, she asks what they think they might find in there, and he jokingly <laughs> says, maybe the corpses of unfaithful servants. So they're like, oh, Jesus Christ. And she goes, very funny. <laughs> yeah. So they pick this lock, and I have to say, at this point, I was kind of like, what is this movie supposed to be? Why should I like these people? I mean, they're very unlikable at this point. Right. I didn't realize that that was going to end up being sort of the point. So they they <laughs> pick the lock, go through the door, close it, Mo. And then something happens. A recording starts to play. It's the voice of Preston, <laughs> Lord Preston, and it and sounds something. And he says, "And he says, I want to play a game." <laughs> <laughs> it sounds a little something like this. Again, uh, apologies for the kind of peaking of the audio. It sounds a little funny, but you'll be able to hear it. Welcome to my chambers of terror, whoever you are. But of course, I know what you are. You are a thief. A burglar who has trespassed on my property with the obvious intention of robbing me. To steal my famous treasure that my the lords of Reston have carefully guarded right, right? for two centuries. He's, tra- he's guarded two, a million dollars for two centuries? Look, a million dollars was a lot of money. He tells them on the recording that in the uh, in the spirit of sportsmanship, they can keep whatever they find. Um, which you know, I don't know why you'd believe him necessarily, but it doesn't really matter, Mo, because the recording says they have twenty seconds um, to, I guess, figure shit out, like to to go forward. Um, right. And so the first thing they do is try to run back through the door that they just picked the lock of, and that thing is locked. They can't go through it. So they run forward, and uh, like a garage door starts to lower. (laughs) And and fucking – This scene hmm? made me laugh so hard because she manages to get under no problem, but (laughs) Boris eats shit. Like like nearly takes his fucking head off trying to get under there. Oh, my God. I laughed so hard. He really does have a hard time. Yeah, couldn't do a take two on that one. I mean, I, I understand I think you know time is money, but I think they're trying to have it be like an Indiana Jones type thing where he's like just barely gets under, but it's just like he just just has a hard time crawling under this thing as it goes down. But well, you know, the pro- the problem is is that like you know it, the problem is is that like the surface that they had him working on in pretty much every single fucking room was like this gravel dirt yeah. sand thing mm-hmm. and like how are you supposed to like slide around on that shit <laughs> well he he has some yeah he has some difficulty and will going forward as well so <laughs> uh they are now trapped boris seems very frustrated by that he even yells at uh wendy saying that because she's wearing like a i guess like a cocktail dress it's almost like lingerie mostly yeah it's her work uniform. It's her work uniform. She says that Lord Breston makes her dress like a prostitute because he's rich and his hands are not paraly- pa- paralyzed. It means he enjoys placing his hands all over me. And then fucking Boris goes, does he pay you extra for that? <laughs> yeah. She says that she had to take the job, you know, to live because he's in jail and she needed to support herself. And his response, Mo, isn't very kind. Now, if you were waiting for an example 
of of Lazar to really let go with his acting. Uh, this is the first uh, example of this. Oh yeah. I have enough. I have enough of this. I have enough of you. I have enough of everything. I tried. You tried. But they caught you. Face it, Boris. You're not even a good thief. I'm getting better. (laughs) (laughs) Like, that's not even presented as a joke. I just like this idea. It's like, I'm getting better. I just need to go to jail a few more times and I'll be there. And this is also the uh, the big reveal of uh, Boris's magnificent Canadian tuxedo. Now, Mo, I want you to tell me more. Maybe let's tell our audience what is a oh, Canadian God. tuxedo. Oh, it's double denim, double denim, it's denim pants like de- jeans, and then uh, yeah, some sort of jean then- uh, vest or or, or jean uh, jacket. Right. Now, Mo, where did the term Canadian tuxedo come from? Like I, like I'm supposed to know. You're the Canadian. You know what I think it is. You know I'm an American. I just spout off things I hear. You know, ad well, where did you hear it? Where have you heard this before? Probably some Canadian. You know, <laughs> I honestly think that nobody called denim on denim a Canadian tuxedo until it was mentioned in the movie Super Troopers from the year 2001. Interesting, because I remember on the audio commentary for Super Troopers. That they say originally it wasn't going to be a Canadian tuxedo, that it was going to be some other nationality, and they just decided on Canadian tuxedo. And then afterwards, I, you know, that it was only after that that I started hearing denim on denim referred to as a Canadian tuxedo. I think they created that idea, Mo. Hey, good on them. Yeah, good on them. Now, now we'll never live it down. I mean, admittedly, nope. we, we wear a lot of denim in the country of Canada, no doubt about it. Yeah. <laughs> so, um, he is upset. Uh, Boris is upset, but he decides, you know, he, he remembers that the recording said that whatever they find, they can keep. So he heads out, climbs down a ladder. And I, uh, this should not surprise you that this movie, uh, was mostly filmed at a water treatment plant in, in Toronto. Yeah, um, there's just, pu- there's pipes everywhere. Pipes everywhere. Hey, good for them. That's a great place to film something like this. It, it right? was a good, lo- it was a good location. Absolutely. So they approach a big iron door. And he tries to open it, which actually uh, triggers a- another recording. And the recording says, congratulations, you can now try to open the next door to continue on, or you may stay where you are and die peacefully. Now count on your wisdom, and you just might get out of here. And that makes that makes Boris a little testy once again, he says. That's it? Speak up, you bastard. <laughs> There's no bloody way we're going to die in here. <laughs> it's like he learned his lines phonetically. <laughs> he also right. has a very kind of slow way of speaking. And that's something to say about this movie as a whole. This movie, because of its structure of them going from room to room, it's it's pretty engaging. But it's also really slowly paced, which is funny because this movie is like, what, like 80 minutes long. It's n- not a long movie at all. If that, yeah. Yeah. But uh, so he's upset. They have this this door, Mo, and uh, Boris actually does something really clever. So Boris didn't just come with the whatever's in his pockets. He has like a work belt and he has a few gadgets and things like that to help with breaking into the place. And one of these gadgets is this kind of like combination lock that helps with 
um, doors that have like a combination lock on them, right? So he he has something to basically hack the lock or or break the lock. And he said, someone in jail shows me how to use it. And it, I think it's just a kitchen timer. <laughs> yeah, I don't, I don't. I have no idea what it is. But yeah, he, he tries to crack the safe or whatever. Yeah, you crack it, it, right? Yeah. And so it does. It seems to work. And then it does not. So he can't open the thing. He tries the door and he can't open it. And he goes, I just don't understand. I don't understand. And then Wendy starts to wonder, what about that recording, Mo? You might remember when I read it out just a second ago, it ended with, count on your wisdom. So, Mo, this is like a fucking Riddler riddle from Batman. <laughs> she works out, count on your wisdom, five, two, four, six. It's a number of letters in count on your wisdom. He tries that, five, two, four, six, and it opens the door, Mo. This is going to be like a puzzle. This is like a learning game we're having here in uh, in Beyond it's like the midnight. It's like Midnight Madness. Where's David Naughton and Eddie Deason? <laughs> that... that... <laughs> That would be a great uh, uh, inclusion in this movie, actually. Eddie Deason just is in one of the rooms, just sitting there. Hi, guys! Oh, oh hey, guys! <laughs> I have to say, both of our Eddie Deason impressions are not very good. Terrible. <laughs> I have to say, by the way, Mo, I, I follow Eddie Deason on Facebook. He he seems like a really nice guy, but I also think he's kind of troubled. Did you? I don't know. Do you follow him on Facebook? I don't, because... Like I, I really want to send him a friend request because like I've, I've been slowly but surely getting up the balls to send friend requests to actors that I sure, like. Absolutely. And so like, so like I have like, um, uh, Barbara Crampton and, uh, and, and a couple others. I can't, I can't remember who off the top of my head, sure. but I just, re- I just recently got accepted. My friend request got accepted by Gary Daniels, which really made me happy. Right. Um, you know, cause it's fucking Gary Daniels, you know, uh, uh. but, 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 and the funny thing is like, I know for a fact that I have so many mutual friends with Eddie Deason that he would accept my thing, but I say kind of way too many, like mildly homoerotic things about Eddie Deason that <laughs> it might come off as awkward or inappropriate. I, uh, he is, uh, I will say he's very good about like wishing everybody a happy birthday when it's their birthday. Uh, and he also has that habit of like writing all in caps, which is, you know, um, that's just something he does, but it kind of seems like he doesn't ever feel like working ever again. And I think he lives with his mother. I mean, it's, he's, he's really smart and has a a real, like he he loves the Beatles and he, he really engages with people on Facebook, but he also is uh, Weird to a level that I don't necessarily welcome onto my own Facebook feed. <laughs> but that did bring up my – I'm glad that you brought that up because this actually ties into No Budget Nightmares, which is that I recently became a friend on Facebook with Bruce Glover, the father of Crispin Glover. Wow. Yeah, I know, right? And That's, he – that What a get. <laughs> he, he loves adding people on Facebook because he can uh, – he, he does like acting classes and he wants people to take his acting classes. And uh. – yeah, and so he, he, like, posts stuff, like, really interesting memorabilia for the most part. But I will say, when he first added me, he uh, he must have went through my photos quickly. And he had one, he saw one of my wife wearing, like, a, a face mask in a hospital. And he replied to it with, hot! <laughs> but I wrote on his Facebook, I said, I loved you. In Die Hard Dracula, which I did. And right. he replied, so did I. <laughs> <laughs> so he seems like quite a character, that Bruce Oh, Lover. my God. That's great. I love it. <laughs> so 
So our duo uh, enter another room, Mo, and this is like the big puzzle, really, of the entire movie. <laughs> Someone went to a lot of effort. They are inside a room, and there's a series of letters on the floor. Oh, this is a dumb puzzle. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah. So as soon as they go in there, uh, Boris hears like a click when his foot touches the floor. Uh, and they seem really confused about the puzzle at first. And, of course, the panel that they climb through immediately closes, which they seem surprised by. Boris goes, shit, shit. Which is like, what are they expecting at this point? Right. Um, and because, you know, it looks like it's a small room. They don't have a lot of air. So, of course, Boris lights Boris up. Boris lights cigarette. a cigarette. <laughs> <laughs> And then the recording starts, Mo, and the recording says, My father wears a ring. If properly spelled, my name will bring the solution that you need. <laughs> so, Mo, if you only had that information and you had the brains of these two knuckleheads. <laughs> I would die. I would straight up die. Yeah. Admittedly, when they try to talk out the solution to this, it, re- least- it reminds me, hold on, it reminds me so much of the fucking Operation Code Kansas scene <laughs> from fucking Black Dynamite, where they like, they just, they magically know exactly what the other one is fucking thinking. It's the, it's the most insane conversation ever. Like, it, it makes no sense that they would think of that. Like, like, first off, why would he bring up Saturn? I understand Saturn has a ring, yeah. but it said my father wears ring. Why would he bring up Saturn? I like that her first thought <sighs> is Wagner's opera, The Ring Cycle. And he even says, yeah, I don't know if he's being sarcastic or not. It's hard to tell with his accent. It's but very like, hard to tell. But it's like, they, they, yes, we got opera once a week in jail. And it's just like, uh, okay. But like, so she's trying to figure it out. And like, she's pretty good at this. Like, shockingly good. So first Shockingly she of, good. Shock, she thinks of Wagner's opera and she's like, nah, it's not that. And then she says this. <laughs> what about the Lord of the Rings? Who the hell was he? <laughs> <laughs> so like you said mo he comes up with the idea of saturn the planet has a ring and it's a father of its moons because of course that's what you would think saturn the father of the fucking moons and she's like oh she's like at first she's like oh i don't know all the moons of saturn and then she starts reciting them mo how many moons of saturn do you know literally none literally none mo i'm a smart guy just like you literally none and like i'm sure that even our Lovely, intelligent listeners, they might be able to recite one or two, but she really does seem to have a pretty good uh, handle on the whole Saturn's moon thing. So on the front line in front of them, so basically they're going to have to walk in the name, like walk in the letters of the name of whatever moon of Saturn is yeah, supposed to go it's in. Yeah, it's sort of similar to that scene in Indiana Jones where you have exactly. to spell out the name of God, yeah. Right, but but you know, uh, Jehovah begins with an I. Um Big- Begins, it's Yahweh, Mrs. Muddy Putty. You must go through. <laughs> <laughs> my, my Sean wow. Connery turns into Jimmy Stewart so easily. Um, <laughs> so she thinks it's Janus, J-A-N-U-S. So he starts to push the panel with his hand for J, and it does move a little bit, but I guess it's steady enough. He steps onto it, then he steps for an A, on the A, and then what happens, Mo? Bullets. I- do they? Gets, I, I, I'm not sure. Something hits the far wall like two or three times and he just stands there like an idiot, like dodging. 
I don't – it's hard to tell what's supposed to be happening. They're shooting noises, so I guess yeah. we're supposed to think bullets are coming out. And so he then dives back to the beginning of the puzzle, and his response is uh, is this. Christ! <laughs> Guy's crazy! <laughs> doesn't appear to be Janus, doesn't? That line reading is so good. That pause doesn't, is crazy. I mean, <laughs> doesn't doesn't appear to be Janice. Doesn't. <laughs> so he's freaked out. So she suggests that they try Rhea instead, like a uh, like Rhea Rhea um, Perlman. Rhea Perlman, <laughs> right? R H E A. So he climbs onto the R, and the walls of this room start to close in on them. Um, and then they both climb up back onto the J and it stops. So they have decided from this that it's probably Juno, uh, because there's the other Saturn, not the planet, but the one from Roman mythology. Again, this is unbelievable how smart they are at this. And, and, uh, they say Saturn was the god of harvest and had children. One was Juno, which is why the J is safe. So they go on the J. They walk, you know, U-N-O, and they stand there, and they don't know what to do, and then the O starts lowering like an elevator into the ground. See, and here's the thing about that, is I am actually fairly well-versed in mythology, (laughs) and I didn't know that. (laughs) (laughs) Well, certainly you knew that Saturn, the god of harvest, had a child named Juno. (laughs) Oh, surely, truly. All I was thinking about through this movie is like, oh, I'd be dead there. Oh, there as well. I'd certainly be dead there. And the only time I wouldn't be dead is at the very end when these characters should, you know, anyway. We'll we'll get to there in just a moment. (laughs) So they step out of this uh, elevator thing, and there's another clicking noise when they hit the ground. And his response is, not again. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, so they take a couple of steps, and the door closes behind them once again, which again seems to surprise them. Wendy thinks it's hopeless. And then he, Boris yells at the speaker to say something. And the speaker says, you are doing very well. You decoded my little quiz. But from now on, there will be no more hints, my friend. The time has come for your real problems. You have five minutes to solve this chamber. Now, Mo, ex- explain to me what does this room look like? Uh, it looks like literally nothing. It like yes. it looks like solid brick or solid stone walls, gravel floor, like every other room so far. Well, let's hear uh, let's hear how uh, how Boris describes it. It's a solid concrete. Maybe not everywhere. What do you mean? Never right the four walls. What do you mean? <laughs> Last day. Why don't you help me? I'm scared. I don't know what I'm to do. Scared, no. So she, she, he says it's solid concrete, and she goes, maybe not everywhere. It's like, what do you mean everywhere? There's four walls. <laughs> <laughs> so the timer is going down very, very quickly, and the voiceover is telling him like they have two minutes left, they have sixty seconds left, uh, sixty seconds left. Um, he then hugs her and says that he's sorry, and spikes like a spiked ceiling starts to lower down. Right. And my and my favorite part about this is so, so the whole time he's looking for hollow points, basically. Like he's yeah, he has like for, a screwdriver. He's got a screwdriver and he's tapping it on the floor. And the funny thing is, is that the noise that it's making 
implies that every single fucking thing in this in this room is fucking hollow. Everything, <laughs> dong 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 dong. You know, everything sounds hollow. So they finally kind of give up, and the spikes start coming down. And like for some reason, he decides to give it one last chance, and magically finds the one like two by two square in the entire room that that is that's hollow. <laughs> And he just starts giving it, you know, like just kicking, kicking it in and like running into it. Like he does like a running kick first. Like he runs and puts his leg right through it. (laughs) Right. Right. You know, he, he puts, he puts all, he puts all 106 pounds of, of his weight (laughs) behind that kick. Serbian strength right through the fucking wall. Um, So Serbian strong. He breaks through, he pulls her through as well. And then the recording comes on again. It says, well, well, you certainly are living proof that a man in grave danger is capable of doing things that are otherwise beyond his power and abilities. I don't know what it means by that, actually. It says, Mm -hmm. however, like all who enter another man's home by force, you must be prepared to risk danger, perhaps being maimed by a guard dog or even killed by an enraged owner. I am only uh, exercising my right to protect myself, my possessions in the sanctity of my home. Think of this as you are awaiting your end. It might help you in another life, the one after death. So as the uh, as the recording said before, there's no hint here. So there's no way to know what to do next. Um, what What's the room look like that they're in at this point, by the way? It isn't actually a room any, at all, right? It's like a hallway. This is the hallway, yeah. yeah. There, there is a moment I just want to bring up. There's a moment in the last room before he finally... Um, before he, for the spikes start descending, where he's literally screaming at the... Um, like, like when things start to go bad, like this dude really loves to scream. Yeah, and there's and there is a moment where he's just screaming, "Scroyo, Scroyo!" Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> and he says it like fifteen times in a row. You hear that? Screw you! And it just made oh my god, that made me laugh so hard. I oh I love his performance, man. Like anytime he went over the top, it was right. so good. So Boris has an idea. They're in this hallway, and at the end of the hallway, I guess it branches both left and right. And he tells uh, Wendy that the way to win this game is basically not to play, to do something that uh, Breston <laughs> is not going to expect. So right. he he knows that Breston wants he, them to check what's behind these corners, and he does what, of course, you should do in this situation. He smokes another cigarette. <laughs> <laughs> right, and this is where Wendy chides him for smoking too much, and he goes, "I'll quit." He goes, but he, he goes, "I'll he... quit if we live." <laughs> right. Um, so she goes off. She goes to see. She's like tired of waiting, even though it's been like twelve seconds. And Boris says not to do it. He says it'll play right into his hands. And Boris volunteers to go first, uh, but she just walks over. And what happens, Mo? Oh, she just falls right down a hole. Like like the, like floor, the, the floor, op- gives the floor opens up right underneath her, and she just goes whoop right down yep. a chute. And, and yeah, and, and really a chute. It's like one of those slides. It twists a bit, yeah. and and she goes to the bottom and lands in a room, Mo. And this room, this is a very interesting stylized room, but there is one really notable thing about it, Mo. There's something on the floor. What's on the floor? Water. Well, no, not water. Well, yes, water. <laughs> That's not what I was referring to. <laughs> there is in fact a dead body. Yes, and of course, this body, uh, at the end of the movie, it gets up and proves itself to be alive the whole time, and that's what the twist is. <laughs> no, so, in this, in this case... Sometimes there's so much poison in a man's blood. <laughs> in this case, 
Uh, it is a real dead body. Uh, and she is very upset by a dead body. Uh, she, she's not as cool as you or I would be mowing the... <laughs> In the face of this corpse. Yeah. <laughs> she, so she's there's also a bunch of holes in the wall. In fact, let's let uh, let's let Wendy describe it. This is her back and forth with Boris after she, what she sees on the ground. Don't panic, Wendy. A body. <laughs> a dead man, Boris. Don't look at him. Calm down. <laughs> Where are you? I'm in another chamber. A new chamber with holes in the walls. So there's holes in the walls, Mo, and there's also like a panel with a bunch of screws in it. Right. Uh, and <laughs> I guess Boris has an idea of what kind of room that is because he asks her if there's a drain on the floor, and she says there is. I wonder why that might be, Mo. Hmm. So he asks her. He also asks her if there's a screwdriver that she can see. And there is Mo. It's in the hand of the corpse. Of the why, dead why, dude. Why would he even suspect there would be a screwdriver? Maybe he knows all about these traps. Oh, that's going to be the big twist. He was that's in the on it twist. the whole time. All right, we got it figured out. Good night, everybody. <laughs> <laughs> Good night, folks. What are we watching next week? <laughs> so she does not want to touch a dead guy's hand, but uh, she does. She doesn't really have a choice. She takes the screwdriver out, starts very incompetently unscrewing these screws. They make us they make us watch this scene in real time. Yeah. I time I I timed it out. It's like 57 seconds of just watching her. I mean, not just. We get a cut back to him upstairs or Hey, what's he doing upstairs? Smoking. He's smoking. Uh but nearly a full minute of just her unscrewing a screw. So <sighs> eventually she unscrews one of the screws and it's a lot longer than all the others. And Boris You're says, right. I don't like it. And he tells her to stop. Then there's a strange noise. And he asks like how many screws there are. And he's, she's like, there's 20 or 30 screws left. He tells her to take her time. But Mo, the thing that we all were waiting to happen starts happening. And what's that? The room starts filling with water. The room starts filling with water. All those holes in the wall, water starts to pour out of it. Um, and of course, and he so, has a brilliant idea. What's this idea, Mo? I want to hear more about this idea that he has. So he tells her. <laughs> now, of course, he's the man who is wearing a shirt and pants. There's also a dead guy on the ground right there who uh-huh. probably wouldn't mind giving up part of his shirt or whatever. No, he tells her to tear off pieces of her dress to stuff yes. in the holes. Mm-hmm. Is, it, does does this work, by the way? At first it seems to, and then no, it doesn't And all. then not at all. <laughs> so she's ripping off parts of her skirt and right. plugging up these holes, these holes as water starts pouring in. Um, and he, while this is going on, he is looking for an extension cord that he has that he's going to lower down to help her climb out. Yeah. Now, this is kind of weird. So his extension cord is not on his person. It's within the room of spikes that they got out of. Right. Right. So, but you can't climb into the room of spikes. So he has <laughs> He has a tape measure which he extends into the room 
so he can pull out the extension cord with it. I mean, this is all have ingenious, you, but ridiculous. Ha, have you ever tried using a tape <laughs> yes. measure to pull something closer to you? It's, it's, it almost takes as much time and is almost as frustrating as the scene in this movie. <laughs> yeah. It's it's nearly impossible. Like, the second you get it too far out, it just kinks and bends. And, and like, you can't get a grip on anything with it. But he manages to get his extension cord. He gets the extension cord. And the extension cord has, a like, a, a lantern at the end of it. Like, a, a yeah. one of those... Yeah, you know what I'm talking about. So... Mm-hmm. He lowers it down to her, and at this point, like, the water is, is like, it's rising quickly, almost to her, uh, well, at, when he gets the extension cord to her waist, it's basically to her shoulders, and so she's staring up at him by the time he lowers it down. She says she can't reach it, but I have to say, if she made a little bit of effort, she might have been able to reach it. Uh, yeah. So then he takes off his belt, ties that to the end of the extension cord, lowers it even more, and she says once again... That uh, that she's not going to be able to reach it, uh, and she also mentions that she's starting to go numb from the cold water. Mo, very yeah, quickly, I, by the way. I actually get a get a huge kick out of the fact that he takes off his belt to take off his belt. Yeah, well, I mean that's a very Tommy Wiseau move too, right? <laughs> <laughs> well, he takes out one of his twelve belts, <laughs> one of his nine hundred belts. Huh? Well, so she's panicking because her whole body is going numb and he's trying to to calm her down so he says what you would say in this situation and this might be the quote of the entire movie i'm freezing and my legs are numb hey talking about your legs i never realized how sexy those those legs are you are going to make hell of So the highlight there is when he trips over how sexy those legs are. But I also want to point out at the end where he says that she, she is a aspiring actress, and he goes, "You're going to be a hell of an actress." <laughs> like there's at least a few syllables not pronounced there. <laughs> but also, what a time to start talking about how sexy her legs are, uh, right? Yeah, so he, he he had made a prediction that he thought that the water was going to start draining soon. Yes. Now, I don't understand how he would have known that. Like, it doesn't make any goddamn sense. But he was right. The uh, water Mo, starts... as we've what? already established, he was in on it the whole time. Oh, right. I forgot. I forgot. He's, he's the red herring. Yeah. So eventually the water, after her arms start to go numb, uh, and she it looks like it's just about too late for her, uh, the water does indeed start to drain out. He tells her not to give up. Then he ties the extension cord to something uh, and crawls down the slide uh, and joins her in the room, which has now been drained. And this is when he takes his Canadian tuxedo uh, coat off and puts it on her, which is a nice thing to do. And he rubs her legs to give her warmth, Mo. And then what happens? God damn it. Please, Mo, in as much detail <sighs> as you can stand. So he creepily starts rubbing her arms, and then he moves down to her legs. Uh-huh. And then he starts, like, kissing her. Weird. You know? Where on her does he start kissing? Certainly her cheek. Like, on her legs. Like, near her naughty bits. Uh-huh. Her timbits, if Her timbits, if you will. <laughs> um, and it's like, and he starts, like, nuzzling her. It's really, really super creepy. Uh-huh. Like, super creepy. And so, she, so then she starts. He starts kissing her, and she 
tells him to stop, which yes. is a r- completely reasonable fucking thing to say. Th- it's, it's a good idea to tell him to stop for at least a half dozen reasons. One of them is, oh, he's weird looking. Two is, like, they're they're going to die if they pause for any moment. Right. Right. Uh, I mean, there's there's lots of good reasons not to want him to kiss her inner thigh in this disgusting room next to a corpse. But right. uh, eventually she changes her tune, Mo. Yeah, she does give in, which leads to one of the best transitions maybe ever put to film. So he picks her up and they start, you know, like kind of like bending down like they're going to go do it. And it fucking dissolves to the corpse's eyes, like to the corpse's <laughs> face. I'm like, I'm like, what a twisted fucking dissolve. I loved it. I loved it. It's my, that like this moment is my favorite moment in the entire movie because it goes from super creepy, disgusting to super creepy, weird. And it's like, it's the perfect transition from one to the other. Unfortunately, it's just that one dissolve and then and then he's right back to smoking again while while he's unscrewing the rest of the screws yeah he he went from screwing to unscrewing in record time (laughs) yeah (laughs) (laughs) so he's not wearing a shirt now by the way he's shirtless smoking unscrewing these 20 to 30 screws on this panel and he gets them all off and he opens it mo and it brings them to the last room of this movie i haven't been counting by the way is this really the seventh room? Um, it seems like see. it hasn't there, been that many. There's the drop door, right? Then there, Sp- what spike was spike ceiling? That? Spike was ceiling that, was before. But, hold on, the drop door was the spike ceiling wasn't the second one. No, no, no. the safe, the safe. Oh, the, the safe drop room. door. I see. I see what you're saying. Yeah, 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 yes. yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay, so maybe uh, it's seven. I guess they would know better than us. The safe, the safe room, the name room. The drop ceiling, the water room. Was there something? Oh no, no, the hallway. Right. The water. Even the that, water. That's room. really the same as the one with the floor gave away. But shh. <laughs> <laughs> the water room, and then the final room. So yeah, if you count the hallway, it's seven. So they enter into a room which has a suitcase filled with money, the treasure, uh, and the uh, an audio recording starts playing. It goes. Well, well, my congratulations. And now you come to claim that for which you risked your life. There is $1 million in that briefcase. However, you could decide to leave it where it is and simply walk out of here as an honest man. For behind this last door, the seventh door, you will find a treasure that is far more valuable. So, you know, this now it's becoming a little bit clear, Mo, that this was some sort of lesson that's being taught. Oh. And Wendy, she, she you know, being the... Not only the smartest and most capable, but really the only one with a brain in this entire movie. She says, don't touch the money. It's probably a trap. Let's get the fuck out of here. Um, And there's also like a door that's immediately to them. That's the seventh door. And so the first thing she wants to do is like open it and see what's behind there. And they do. And it's an elevator. It's an elevator. The elevator, I guess, that he uses that goes right up to the uh, the rest of the mansion or the castle. Mm-hmm. What's funny about that, by the way, Mo, is that at the beginning of the movie, she mentions that he likes to go down in that elevator. So does he just go down the elevator into a empty room with money in a suitcase in the middle of it? <laughs> Pretty much. Or maybe he's been devising his evil plans down there. In he's those- got he's got to fix his uh, fix all the traps after everybody uh, 
you know, deals with them. So she wants to get out of there. He wonders what could he have possibly meant about uh, a treasure far more precious behind the seventh door. She thinks very reasonably that it's their freedom that is the precious thing. <laughs> she, she basically says to him, "It's our freedom, you dummy." <laughs> yes. And Boris says that the police are just going to be waiting for them out there, and she says, "Very again, very sensibly, uh, if there is, we'll just tell them about the corpse, and then they'll, you know, then they'll probably." You know, want to know more about that. We won't get as much trouble. So she tells him to get in the elevator. Uh, but he just wants to look at some of the money. And he picks some up. And he goes, it's real. And she says, uh, and now Wendy, after he earlier saying not to play into the guy's hands, Wendy's now is like, don't play into his hands. And then he says. But why would he blow up all this money? Because he's incredibly rich. And you are incredibly stupid. All this money? Don't give up now. So that's very important. You see, our friend Boris has a bit of an issue, Mo. He's very greedy. However, he isn't as stupid as he looks. He does check under... So I'm going to need a little bit of explanation here. He checks under the table on which the uh, the suitcase is laying. And there is yes. a wire hanging down from it. Mm-hmm. And it goes into basically a big pile of... Uh, sand or dirt or whatever, and he blows it away, and you can see that there's some sort of mechanical device, which is presumably a bomb underneath it. Yeah. Am I am I correct so far? Yeah. So he says, I'm just going to take a few bundles of money to cover their expenses. He does take them. They get in the elevator, Mo, and it starts to move. Um, he says that they earn the money. The elevator stops, and when the door opens, there's an empty hallway, and it's the hallway that she is familiar with, from the guy's mansion. So he, they're like, okay, they're home free. Except then what happens, Mo? Uh, he sends her off to uh, go get changed and to get ready to leave. Yes. And he, and he'll be right back. Oh. He, he... Da- Daddy needs to run to the store to go get some cigarettes. <laughs> so he... So she even says, like, come back to my room, we'll make love. Like, she's basically doing all that she can to get him to just leave with her. But he pushes her out of the elevator, and he goes back. He goes, I've come for what's mine. He goes down, Mo. Now, again, knowing that this is attached to a bomb, yeah. what does he do? Well, he disrobes again, because that's Uh what we needed to see more of, Uh his his chest, and uses his uh, jacket to... Uh, store up as much of the money as he can. Now, he was almost smart and almost walked out of there with leaving enough money to not trigger the bomb. Which you can even see within the case itself, by the way, that there's a marker to show that there's a weight in there. Right. Now, he starts to walk off and he stops and he looks over. And uh, in in the meantime, we should also mention that while all of this is happening, we get uh, back and forths of him doing that. And like she has time to like take a shower and like get into bed and Mm -hmm. like all of this other nonsense, you know, but he goes and grabs that last uh, that, you know, those last two uh, packets of money and gaboo. Kaboom. Now, we don't see the kaboom. We only yeah. hear it, and Wendy hears it from her bed as well. I have to say, Boris deserves to be kaboomed because he could have easily gotten away with this money and yep. just didn't out of greed because greed, Mo, that's a sin. 
You shouldn't be greedy. That's what I'm trying to say, Mo. Ah. But there's still a little matter of the big twist, Mo. You ready for the twist? Oh, yeah. Listeners, are you ready for the twist? Take a moment. Yes, we are. Who, who do you <laughs> think was responsible? I'll give you five seconds. Four, three, two. There's only when two characters. Well, I was gonna say, there's only two fucking characters. <laughs> and one of them is dead. <laughs> <laughs> Wendy is laying in bed when a man in a motorized wheelchair comes in. And he says this. Why so sad, my dear? We both gave him a chance. He was only 36. He was a crook. Spit take. (laughs) The wrong man for a girl like you. He would have found a way to get himself killed sooner or later. They all do. Here. For your trouble. 20,000 as agreed. Take it. You've earned it. Gave me great pleasure to listen to your performance tonight. You would have made a hell of an actress. <laughs> so this is what Breston likes. He likes her basically to seduce men and then to bring them to this to test whether they will give up the money uh, for her or for lack of greed at the end. Um, and so that's what happened. He's li- he was listening the whole time. He's like a sick perv who gets pleasure. He does end, by the way, and says, Wendy, one more thing. You don't have to make love to all of them, do you? Wah, wah. Wah, wah. <laughs> he leaves the room. She picks up the phone, Mo. She calls someone named Peter, and she says that she has the key, and tomorrow night will be perfect. Mo, she's a black widow. She was, she was behind it all along. She's awful. Aw, she just wanted to to prove that there are some good men out there, Mo. Many, maybe men that aren't so greedy and don't look like a gargoyle. <laughs> <laughs> that was Mo Beyond the Seventh Door from 1987. Yes. Uh, I have to say, oh, by the way, I should mention that there are a full closing credits here. Absolutely nothing of note within them. Nope. I actually watched nothing. them. I don't know why. I had a feeling there wasn't going to be anything in them. I have to say, whatever limitations this movie has, and that twist is kind of silly and all that, I was pretty entertained by this movie because yeah. that 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 structure of having, you know, there's seven rooms or whatever, maybe six rooms, that they have to go through. There's a progression. You are trying to figure it out along with them. You're seeing them work out puzzles. It is, again, the same sort of thing that makes the, the Cube movie so entertaining to watch because – you are kind of in the soup with these guys and you need to try to, you know, you, this one's kind of tough because you don't really care if they, these characters live or die. They don't seem nope. like that great of people, but you're still engaged. And because the movie's pretty short, it really is only just like 80 minutes long. I found this a really easy watch. Yeah. And, uh, read. And no budget nightmares uh, hosts like Mo and myself. We really love it when there's only a few characters for us to keep track of. Yeah, yeah, it's so much better when when all you have to write is Boris does this, Wendy does this, Boris does this, <laughs> and you don't have to keep track of like nine hundred fucking characters. Especially like films like Operation Dance Sensation, where you have a bunch of different fucking characters and they're speaking a different language. <laughs> you know. 
Speaking of which, uh, our uh, beloved user who chose Operation Dance Sensation, Mo, uh, actually sent me copies of that movie, hard copies, uh, that I'm supposed to send one of them to you, which I should get on. uh, So uh, you will have your own physical copy, Mo, in case you ever want to uh, return to Operation Dance Sensation. Sure. Sure! Mo, sure! Um, I'd watch it again. I should mention also, by the way, that since our last episode, there's been a couple of interesting things. Uh, I, I think I mentioned at the end of our most recent episode that No Budget Nightmares has now been added to Spotify. And that led to, because we did our, our Plaga Zombie 2 episode somewhat recently, that some people connect, connected with that production. And, and in particular, the director of the U.S. Plaga Zombie, um, mm. or the English uh, Plaga Zombie, uh, was in contact with us and uh, said some very nice things and I believe has joined our Facebook group as well. So just another plug for the Facebook group, Mo. People should go on to there. Right. Mo, whatever could become of Lazar Rockwood, the star of Beyond the Seventh Door? <laughs> now, with a guy who looked to be in his mid-70s in 1987 <laughs> and also apparently smoked 400 cigarettes during the production of this movie, certainly he passed away Decades ago. <laughs> From lung cancer. From lung cancer, <laughs> at the very least. Uh, God, I shouldn't make fun of that. No. Um, no, he now looks like he's not a day older than 312. <laughs> and, uh, you know, I and still speaks English as well as ever. <laughs> he's actually had a kind of a shockingly... Long career. And in fact, if you were a fan of the Witchblade TV show, he was actually a regular. I mean, he appeared in like like what, something like 20 episodes of that show. Yeah. Uh, and and he, you know, he was on a lot of Canadian productions in the uh, in the mid 90s and things like that. But he's still with us. Uh, he if you look on YouTube right now, you can kind of see what he looked like as of 2016 because he was doing sort of a I think it was a pitch for uh, finishing funds for a movie called The Return. Um, and you can and he speaks English in it and you can see what he looks like. And as Mo suggested, he does look a million years old. <laughs> yeah. I also love that he plays a character named Lazar in a lot of things. Why? Why the fuck not? <laughs> But uh, but you know it, there's there's a lot of different movies that you would uh, that you might find uh, our friend Lazar Rockwood in, and you should go over to IMDb and check out some of his career. I, I have to say the one I'm most interested in is a movie that I've heard of before from 2007 called Blitchney Boy: The Ultimate Fighter, because that pairs our friend with uh, not only the late David Carradine and not only Gary Busey Mo, but also huh. with Eric Roberts. Ah, look at that. <laughs> My understanding is that movie may not have actually ever been released. It was some sort of um, that they they directed like sixty minutes of it, and maybe it never got completed. But anyway, I'm I'm hoping that one day we can see Eric Roberts and uh, and Lazar face off once and for all. <clears throat> Mo, it's time to talk about what are we going to cover. On the next episode of No Budget Nightmares, which I promise you, listeners, will not take two months to record. Uh, well, seeing as you never actually told me. I know, it's exciting. I'm just as interested in knowing as the rest of the audience is. So this is, uh, as of now, our, our final Patreon request. Uh, we've been trying to knock them out. It's just taken a little bit longer than expected. And I have to be honest, Mo, when the, uh, the requester first mentioned this movie to me, I was really hesitant. Uh, for one thing, this movie has actual like uh, recognizable names in it, 
and a budget. It it honestly doesn't fit really into the scope of the show. And I voiced that. I I was really hesitant. But then the person who requested this, Tyler Sharp, told me a little bit more about the backstory of it. And and again, it's not like we can say no. They did, you know, they you, you pay your money, you get to see the show, right? Right, um, right. So Tyler has chosen a movie from 2005 called oh. Iowa. And Iowa was directed by a guy named Matt Farnsworth. And and listeners might know Matt Farnsworth because I a couple of years ago he made a movie called The Orphan Killer. Which uh, got a little bit of <laughs> it got a little bit of traction, not as much traction as its Wikipedia page seems to think, or his Wikipedia page seems to think. But huh. this this movie here's the plot of it according to the IMDb: a cautionary tale of love, crime, fantasy, and addiction that follows two young Iowan lovers who decide to go into the batch business, cooking their own methamphetamine, only to watch it burn a searing hole in their lives. So this is about meth. Uh, and Tyler gave me a little bit of backstory on this, that this director, Matt Farnsworth, actually made a meth documentary in Iowa where he lived a few years before making this movie. I guess he has some specific interest in meth. Um, and then they filmed this movie, Iowa, in his hometown. And once the movie was finished, they sent a director's cut, like a, a preview director's cut of the movie to a local cinema that Tyler's best friend ran, and they had a screening of it, and I guess it was basically laughed out of the building. And well, that's mm-hmm. because nobody nobody wants to watch a movie about Iowa, even people from Iowa. Well, apparently, particularly people from Iowa. Particular people are like, we already have to live here. Why would we want to watch this? So here's the thing, Mo. This movie got released. You can, everybody who's listening right now, you can find a copy of Iowa on DVD. However, we're not going to watch the movie Iowa, Mo. We are going to watch the director's cut of Iowa that has never really been watched by anybody except this (laughs) horrified crowd in Iowa. Uh, Hot dog. Tyler sent me this director's cut, so probably an even longer, shittier version of this movie. And on the next episode of No Budget Nightmares, we are going to watch Iowa... The Director's Cut by Matt Farnsworth, starring, again, real names. Like, there's uh, Rosanna Arquette is in it, and John Savage is in it. Um, I don't, I honestly, Mo. Hey, I, J- John Savage is also in The Return. He is in The Return, that's right. <laughs> <laughs> it should be Six Degrees of Lazar Rockwood. Um, I honestly have no idea what to expect. This is really kind of outside my wheelhouse. This movie is already an hour and 44 minutes. I... I'm hesitant to look at the length of the director's cut, but oh, in the God. very yeah, this I know be like the like the third longest episode ever. <laughs> We're gonna watch it. Uh, it's it it's hey, you know what? I'm hoping that we can maybe record this before the end of 2018, and if we do, it's it's nice to end on sort of a, a stranger, more more weird note uh, before we move into our kind of uh, modus operandi starting in 2019. So yeah, on the next episode, Mo Iowa, excited. <laughs> Uh, very <laughs> it's a good story and i do i always love when we're gonna watch something that nobody else can watch because it also makes me think why would anyone listen to the episode yeah right exactly <laughs> i mean like look we we're pretty niche to begin with but when you're so niche that there's only like 12 people in the world who could have ever possibly seen the fucking movie that you're watching Oh man! Yeah, I know it's gonna be it's gonna be unique. But you know what, Mo? Unique New York. 
Unique New York. <laughs> Unique and Monique. So that's it. Uh, that is Iowa from 2005, which we'll feature on the next episode of No Budget Nightmares. Mo, if people want to check out more episodes uh, and they, they haven't yet exhausted our archive, what's the best way for them to do so? Well, I mean, obviously they're going to want to go over to Facebook.com slash groups slash No Budget Nightmares or just do a search in Facebook for that uh, that good old No Budget Nightmares or they can follow us on Twitter at No Budget Podcast. Or if they want to check out everything, they can just go over to NoBudgetPodcast.com. Uh, and you can also, uh, if you want to find out more about the host of No Budget Nightmares, you can follow Mo. He is at Drunk on VHS on Twitter, an <laughs> avid Twitterer. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Yeah, I, I twi- man, I Twitter at least like twice a month. <laughs> and you can also follow me on Twitter at Doug underscore Tilly. That's T I L L. E why uh, Mo? I I know that again. You've been on hiatus with No Budget Nightmares, and I'm guessing your other podcast as well. Is, is that likely yeah. to be making a return? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. We're already like I still have an episode. So the last episode we recorded of that was actually before John Cross went to go get married. Sure. Um. So that was kind of a while ago, and I uh, like back in October, I believe. And uh, I still have to actually edit that episode and get it over to John so they can be up. And then we'll start recording new episodes. But honestly, I'm thinking for that one, it'll, I'll probably just wait until the new year um, to just pick it up fresh uh, then. Because right now, I have crazy shit planned every weekend for the rest of this month. So <laughs> I mean, we'll, we'll, see how, we'll see how it goes. Uh, what is that podcast again and where can people find it? It's called Alt Nerd Obsessive, and um, I don't know places. I mean, After Movie Diner is the main place. So just go to, go to After Movie Diner. There there are uh, a good half dozen episodes up currently, if not maybe a couple sure. more. Um, and they are thoroughly entertaining. Like honestly, I th- I think they're a lot of fun. Uh, it's mostly about obsessions and fandoms and geeking out to stuff to that effect but uh yeah and expect new episodes um to come out in the new year if uh you want to support no budget nightmares the podcast which you're listening to right now you can go over to our nobudgetpodcast.com website click on the patreon link and uh, support us you can do it for as low as one dollar an episode and uh i also want to mention that i host another podcast called eric roberts is the fucking man over at eric roberts is the man.com which uh, wait you put you host another podcast well no, th- you won't believe what you're about to hear after this mo you can find out more about eric roberts is the fucking man over at eric roberts is the man.com or follow us on twitter at eritfm but in the new year i'm also going to be co-hosting another podcast oh jesus christ this is really exciting <laughs> we just recently announced it's hold on, called, hold on. Can, can I, can I, can I guess? Please, you're, you're gonna, de- you're gonna devote an entire podcast to nothing but Danny Trejo cameos. Uh, no, that is incorrect. And I should mention that I'm not spearheading uh, this podcast. I am just a co-host on it uh, or a contributor. This podcast is called The Flight Stuff, and it is a podcast about the superhero team, the Alpha Flight, the Canadian superhero team that started in the Jesus er- Christ, early man. 80s. <laughs> I'm like, I don't explore enough niche topics. I need to devote my life to things that nobody cares about. But, yeah, right. But indeed. How, how, many epi- how many episodes are you going to devote to Sasquatch? Oh, Sasquatch deserves. Hey, look. 
Here's the thing, Mo. Uh, longtime listeners of this show know that I come from the lovely island of Newfoundland, Canada. Uh, and there is, within Alpha Flight, a character also from Newfoundland named Marina. She is, for all intents and purposes and to my knowledge, a shitty character that nobody likes. But she's from Newfoundland, <laughs> Mo. So I have to be there. Now, I am I am coming at this. I have never read. Uh, I think I, maybe I've read a couple of Alpha Flight comics my entire life. I'm not an expert. Uh, the two other hosts of the show, they are, are intimately knowledgeable about it but i have a, a leg up on both of them mo because i am canadian and they are not so this ah. is going to be i'm going to bring a canadian perspective to the flight stuff uh, right now there is a uh twitter feed i think it's at flight stuff pod that you can follow right now but keep an eye on that flight stuff podcast coming in 2019 for as long as anyone can stand it <laughs> mo have you seen anything interesting over the last two months um you know, I might have, but I'll be damned if I fucking remember. I bet when I start saying something, you're suddenly it's going to spring to mind. You'll be like, oh, wait, I saw that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You go first, and I'll see if okay. I can remember. I uh, Just yesterday, I watched the uh, very interesting, I think it's a Belgian uh, spaghetti western tribute slash Jolly tribute called Let the Corpses Tan. Um, which, uh, I think it's, it's available to rent, I think, on Amazon. It's, it, I don't even know if it has a physical release in the U.S. yet, but, uh, I've been wanting to see this for months and months and months. Um, and I think it's from the directors of, wait, I want to get this right. Uh, boop, boop, Sorry, it's a complex title, so I want to make sure I don't fuck it up. Boop, 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 boop. Wait, if I write this down, it'll work. Bodies. I think it's from the uh, directors of the movie uh, The Strange Color of Your Body's Tears, which came out a few years ago. Uh, mm. And this it's visually stunning. I mean, it's really an amazing visual feast. Uh, and it's a pretty interesting plot as well. Uh, it's violent. It's interesting. Yeah, I'd, I'd re- recommend Let the Corpses Tan, especially if you like a movie like Mandy, which has a kind of really uh, strong visual edge to it. It, it, it would sure. make a really good uh, double feature with Mandy, which I imagine a lot of our listeners have uh, have uh, checked out. I also lit- watched for the first time in a very, very long time, since the probably mid-90s, I watched uh, 1988's Miracle Mile uh, for another podcast. Oh, that's a great that's a great movie. That movie is outstanding. I think I think it's one of those movies that's being rediscovered now. But there was a period of time when people just didn't know that much about it, and it was it, it just didn't have a lot of popularity. I am going to put it out there. I think it's one of the better American movies of the late '80s. It really is incredible. I think it actually holds up really, really well too. And was just a victim of circumstance in terms of the time it came out. But if you get an opportunity, check out Miracle Mile. And the other movie I want to talk about, Mo, just briefly, is that I watched the 1930s. All Quiet on the Western Front, which is wow. a real bummer of a movie, man. But that yeah, really that holds is. up even better than Miracle Mile in some ways, uh, in some very sad and uh, depressing ways. But certainly, hmm. I'd recommend all three of those, Mo. And uh, and ah, that those are all the ones I'm going to talk about now. Any movies that spring to mind, Mo, that you've seen recently that you want to recommend to people out there? You know, this Absolute, is absolutely absolutely none. How about thinking about the year as a whole? Any movies from 2018? Before we wrap up here, because this might be our last episode of the year, uh, anything that, uh, that 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 you can think of that you enjoyed? Uh, yeah, I I really need to start keeping track of the movies <laughs> I watch because because honestly, like a question like that, like dude, I don't remember what I did fucking t- you know uh, three hours ago, let alone what I watched at the beginning of the year. And this has been such a fucking crazy ass year. Sure. 
I mean, like you mentioned Mandy. I really liked Mandy. Um, you know, I, I, despite a lot of people's disliking of it, I liked the new Halloween movie. I thought it was fun. Me too. Um, you know, yeah. And, uh, like I, I'm, I don't have like Marvel burnout yet. You know, like I still really enjoy watching all of the, the big, um, you know, comic book movies. So I've been, and I've enjoyed pretty much all of them. And I'm really looking forward to what's coming next year because there's a lot of really fun stuff on the, on the horizon. Um, yeah, I mean, I've watched a lot of shit. I watched a lot of great movies. I I think it was, a it was a, an okay year for movies for me. (laughs) It it might be time to catch up on a few before, before we reach the very end. Yeah. 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 There's a handful that are on my list, but I need to get my Xbox back so that I can watch things again. My sex box. Yeah. Right. (laughs) All right, Mo. I feel like it's time for you to take a nap. I think it's time for (laughs) us, us as a podcast to take a nap. Uh, we, do I, do I sound that tired? Because (laughs) I am. (laughs) We are, we're going to take a little break here. Not as long as last time. We're going to be back very soon with 205, 205, 2005's Iowa director's cut. Very exciting. Uh, folks, thank you so much for your patience. We will return. We promise. Good night. Wait, aren't you the guy who says good night, everybody? Good night. Ding, ding, ding. <clears throat> Good night, everybody. It's a solid concrete. Maybe not everywhere. What do you mean? Never right to four miles.